Hey, thanks for listening to Cornerstone Church. You can find us on the web at akcornerstone.org. And we want you to know it's our prayer that the Holy Spirit will use this message to either save you through the good news about Jesus Christ, grow you into the likeness of Jesus, or send you to proclaim Jesus in the Spirit's power. I'm actually amazed at God, and I sense the nearness of the Lord with us today. The songs that have been picked, that we've sung, the message that is on my heart for today, I I believe that I have a word from the Lord for us today. Despite just being hooked up into the saddle early this morning, I believe God is in it all and through it all. Amen? So let's be attentive to him. Let's keep our hearts open to him. I believe he wants to encourage us today. And I'd like for you to turn to the book of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. And want to speak this morning on praying with the pilot light on. Paul gives us this instruction concerning prayer in Colossians 4, 2, which is page 985 in your Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, please pick one up at the back. There should be one available there. You can get up right now and go get one if you don't have one, and you'll find it in, uh, in, on page 985. Max, are the Bibles back there? There we go. Yeah, good. There's Bibles back there. I want to make sure they were. One short little verse. Colossians 4, verse 2. Continue... Continue, don't stop and start, continue, let it be a way of life, continue in it, continue steadfastly, don't give up in it, in what? In prayer, continue steadfastly in prayer, let it be your way of life, let it be your impulse, instinct, your reflex, when you encounter circumstances that seem hopeless, let you fling into prayer. Let it be a steadfast occupation of yours, a breath that you breathe. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Jesus taught us how to do this, how to fulfill the instruction of St. Paul. And it's recorded in John's Gospel, chapter 11, verse 41. And we'll look at this verse a little more in depth, but I want to just read it to you right now for my message is based on these two, the concept enclosed in these two verses. Jesus said, he looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. That was at the grave of his best friend Lazarus when Lazarus was dead. He looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. Now back to the passage in Colossians. We're going to be unpacking this verse word for word. Colossians 4 verse 2. Paul's letter to the Colossians has seven texts, seven verses in it that use the word thank, giving thanks, thanksgiving, thankful, and gratitude. And so that gives the epistle of Paul to the Colossians an unmistakable aroma of thanksgiving. And the last one of these seven texts says that prayer should be both watchful and thankful. That prayer, in other words, it attaches the idea of being thankful with how you pray, what effective prayer is like. It it includes this idea of being thankful and watchful. And that's a very interesting relationship, the way that Paul has put it here, that we should pray with watchfulness and with thanksgiving. And I want to talk to you about that, what that means to pray that way, what that looks like, and how we can do that. Watchfulness means praying with prophetic perception and insight more than eyesight. It's seeing into the mind and the heart of God as we pray. And it means gratitude or God-focused attitude of gratitude. It's watchful means seeing what an insight into what God wants to do, 
being thankful means believing that God can do it. Watchfulness is seeing what God wants to do. It's insight more than eyesight. And thankfulness is believing that God's going to do it before you see him having done it. And that's foresight more than hindsight. Both carry the idea of discernment and expectation and anticipation, and both are virtues of faith. Both are completely God-dependent. Now, a watchman in the Old Testament, Paul says that we should pray with watchfulness, so we're talking about what does he mean by it? What's the biblical concept of watching? And, and it was a very um, prolific concept in the Old Testament, the idea of a watchman was it existed in the Old Testament, how a watchman was appointed to to a certain hour of time, and, uh, and he was to watch, he was to be vigilant, he was to be awake, he was to be alert. And one of the Hebrew words for prophet, there are several, about seven or eight Hebrew words in the Old, Old Testament for prophet, and one of them is the word ro'ah, which can be translated seer. So ro'ah, or prophet, in the Old Testament meant behold or to perceive of something, to see something, to have an insight into something. It's one who has spiritual insight into the true nature and the conditions of things. Insight into truth as it exists as God sees it and in the heart of God. Not a lie, for Satan will often get us sidetracked and get us discouraged and hopeless and fretful and stressed out because our 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 emotions and our mind is wrapped around an untruth or a lie. But God wants to set us free by getting us uh, to release us into the arena of, of prayer and praying his kingdom to come on earth, and it's based upon an insight into truth as it exists in God. Now, I believe that Paul gives us a very important spiritual principle here about effective prayer. Being watchful and being thankful is kind of like praying with a pilot light on. Have you ever lit a pilot light on anything? In our home, we have a pilot light in our hot water heaters. Uh, We have a pilot light in our furnace. And when I leave our house, if we're going to be gone for a few days, I I turn the the uh, dial down on my hot water heater, which is a propane-fired hot water heater, I turn it down to vacation mode, which is basically just having the pilot light on. But when we come home, one of the first things I do within five minutes of being there, so I have hot water, I, I turn it up a little bit above warm, just so it's not scaldy hot, you know. But the pilot light means that the pilot light is on. All I have to turn the dial is turn, it, turn the dial up and immediately, voom, it releases propane and it lights up when we've got instant heat. But if the pilot light is not on, it's a, it's a major you know, deal to get that pilot light lit. And, and, and if the igniter is not working, you have to go to the hardware store. Anyway, it's a, a pilot light makes it a whole lot e- easier. So I like to think about Paul's instruction here of coupling together, marrying together watchfulness and thankfulness with prayer as a pilot light that enables us to be capable of launching into prayer at any moment, Uh, at, at an instant. When anybody comes to you with a request, with a need, with an issue, immediately you can launch into prayer because you have walked with God and have an insight into the mind of God, the heart of God, and the spirit of thanksgiving, you've developed a way of life that gives you the capacity to pray without ceasing at all times. I want to unpack that a little bit today, and hopefully the spirit of God will will give us some help with this. So Paul is saying that when we pray, we should discern and, and, uh, and perceive God's direction on a matter. You know, before we should Before we pray, we're to pray, thy will be done, right? Not my will. So how do we get the thy will be done? How do we we get there? How do we get out of my will into thy will? How do we move into the mind of God? How do we we keep in step with the, the Spirit? 
How do we do that? So we have to have this capacity to perceive, to know, to lay down our will and to walk in the mind of God, to put on the mind of Christ. That's how a Christian should live. And to thank him for what he's going to do. Now, our prayer will grow stronger and more effective if we learn to watch for what God's going to do and thank him for doing it. We'd be praying without ceasing if we learn how to watch and pray. Watch with and be thankful. And this is like a pilot light, watchfulness and thanksgiving. Insight, not eyesight, and foresight, not hindsight. And we're going to look at that. Now, there's a symbiotic relationship between watchfulness and thanksgiving and this prayer of faith. These three things go together. The prayer of faith and watchfulness and thanksgiving. Symbiotic relationship. That's a big word, isn't it? Say it under your lips. Symbiotic. It helps you wake up. Symbiotic. Symbiotic. Wait until I get to you the next word. I had exceedingly amount of trouble saying this next word and then... Dale Canaan messed me up after the early service and tried to get me so that in this sermon I'll say bad words. But Symbiosis, symbiosis is the concept that comes to us from the field of biology that recognizes how two different organisms live together for the mutual benefit of each other. That's called symbiosis. It's kind of like a marriage. A marriage is a symbiotic relationship. Two people laying their self down to serve and to help and to build one another up to make them everything that God created them and designed them to be. That's a symbiotic relationship. It's also called mutualism. And uh, an example of mutual symbiosis is the relationship, for example, that exists between the clownfish and the sea amenone. See, that's the, hard, that's the word that was, I could hardly... I, I don't know if I'm still even saying it. Amenone. Not enemy or enema. No, uh, that's, that's what Dale tried to get me to say. It's amenony. Amen, amen, see, I can't even say it. Anyway, there's this symbiotic relationship between a clownfish and an anemone. Uh, I don't know. The, a clownfish lives between the stinging tentacles of the anemone, and the clownfish is a territorial fish that protects the anemone from anemone-eating fish. And in turn, the stinging tentacles of the anemone uh, protect the clownfish from its predators. And a special mucus that exists on the body of the clownfish protects it from the stinging tentacles of the anemone. And so there's an example of mutual symbiosis, the two working together to serve one another, to help them coexist together. And there's a mutual symbiosis that exists here in this passage of Scripture that Paul is teaching us about how to pray between watchfulness, thanksgiving, and the prayer of faith. They both work together to help one another and encourage one another. And in that sense, I like to think of watchfulness and thanksgiving as like the pilot light that ignites the furnace of prayer. Paul says also in Colossians chapter 2, verse 7, let your roots grow down into him. See, that's what we have to learn to do. Get our roots down into him so that he is what nourishes us. He is what we grow in. He is what causes the fruit in our life to grow out of him, to get down into him. We're rooted into him. Let's get down into Jesus. I love the gospel fluency conference we had here a few weeks ago that talked about how how the gospel should become the mother tongue of our lips. It It should be the instinct of our life. It should be what we apply to every circumstance of our life. The gospel is, what's that, what's, how can you translate the word gospel? It means what? Good news, right? The gospel is good news, not bad news. It's good news. Do we need to learn how to apply the good news that Jesus is sovereign, that, uh, uh, that unto you a child shall be born and the government shall be upon his shoulders and of the increase of his government there shall be no end. That's the gospel. And it needs to become part of the instinct of our life, the way that we look at life, interpret life, respond to life. 
Well, that's a message, another whole different message. But Paul says, let your roots grow down into him. And that's what he's talking about. And let your lives be built on him. Then something will happen, he says. Then your faith, faith will grow strong in the truth. See, truth is part of this watchfulness. It's part of this insight into, into God, the nature of God. Truth as exists, exists in God, it's spiritual perception of who God is and what he's like and what truth really is as opposed to the lies of the enemy. That you, your faith will grow strong and rooted in truth that you were taught and then you will overflow with, guess what? Anybody there in that passage in Colossians 2, 7, say it out loud. Thanksgiving, thanksgiving. And so thanksgiving is the overflow of faith perception as it is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And that is the principle that we are examining today. The converse of that is also true. The more you pray with thanksgiving, the greater will be your faith. And thankfulness is the secret of vigorous faith. And so the perception of the truth combines to make effective prayer. I want to read something out of uh, Andrew Murray's little book that he called The Thanksgiving of Faith. And in it, he has a chapter in that book called Why Do You Not Believe? It's a good question maybe for some of us this morning. Why do you not believe? Why do you not believe? Here's what he had to say, a brief quote from Andrew Murray. Where faith is active and growing, it will always go coupled with thanksgiving. As faith stirs up to thanksgiving, so it exercises a reactive influence. It, in turn, strengthens faith. Thanksgiving strengthens faith. Faith produces thanksgiving, and thanksgiving, see, that's that symbiotic relationship, thanksgiving will, will encourage your faith. Faith and thanksgiving belong to one another, and they keep one another. The more I believe, the more I will thank. The more I thank, the more I will believe. The lack of faith is the reason that men give thanks so little. The neglect of thanksgiving hinders and weakens our faith. This is a fault to which too little attention has been paid and from which many a person suffers great loss. Now, Jesus showed us how to do this, how to live this way, how to pray with spiritual insight and perception and God-centered, God-focused thanksgiving. He gave thanks with anticipation of what God was going to do. When Jesus prayed, he often, have you ever noticed how often Jesus gave thanks to God for something before it ever happened? I remember the first time I saw that, like, that's kind of strange. Remember the verse I read earlier, John 11, verse 41? Jesus showed us how to pray when he prayed for Lazarus to be raised from the dead. Lazarus had been dead for several days. It looked like to his, brother, to his sisters, Mary and Martha, that Jesus had dilly-dallied. He had dilly-dallied, and therefore they were in the mully grubs. See, those are two good, big biblical words. If you, don't, if you dilly-dally, you'll get in the mully grubs. There you go. <laughs> and, uh, and they were in the mully grubs because Jesus had dilly-dallied, according to their perception. But I believe Jesus delayed getting there in order to increase their, their faith, teach them a lesson in faith. And the Bible says that they rolled the stone aside. See, he's already had been in the, in the grave. And they rolled the stone aside. Then how did Jesus respond to that? How do you apply the gospel to one of the worst situations you can face? The situation of death. No greater challenge than that. Jesus looked up to heaven and he said, Father, thank you for hearing me. I mean, death is the most hopeless situation you can get in. It's the most extreme example of an impossible challenge. It's terminal, so bad that it says that it made Jesus weep. I like that because that tells me that Jesus' head was not in the sand. He was not denying reality. 
He's not talking about a faith in God that denies reality or escapes reality. He acknowledged reality. His motions were engaged in the situation, and he wept. Totally observant, totally there, not somewhere else. He's in the moment. He understands the circumstance. And when he saw firsthand what sin had done, how, how deplorable the situation, what sin had, had done to the human race, especially in this circumstance of seeing it in human form in his best friend Lazarus, his emotions erupted with this compassionate lament over the tragedy of sin. But notice how Jesus then turned that heartbreak over to the Father. It's exactly what David does in the book of Psalms, what we call the imprecatory Psalms, when David prays those kind of prayers that says, Lord, break his bones. Lord, destroy the wicked. You know, those, those seems like vengeful Psalms. What's, what are we supposed to think about those kind of Psalms as, as, a, as a way to pray? Well, the way I've always thought about them is that how, how, how do you handle those kind of moments in life do you beat the door down do you you know you go shoot your dog no you take it to the lord you take your pain to the lord and say lord this angers me this bothers me i hate this lord oh god i mean that's how you deal with the pain of life the tragedy of life as you've seen it in this world and jesus did that and he lifted up a, a prayer to the lord and he looked up to heaven he said father Thank you for hearing me. He was absolutely confident that there was a father in heaven that was observant, that was aware that he could cast all of his cares upon him for he cares for you. And he thanked God for that. God was not distant. He was not aloof. He was not asleep. And Jesus believed that. Jesus knows that the father is always on duty as it says in the book of Psalms, if I was to run to the uttermost parts of the sea, behold, thou art there. If I could go anywhere, make my, even make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. I cannot out, outrun the, the speed of light because you are there, Lord. There's nowhere I can go where you aren't there, Lord. God is there. As Chuck Swindoll says in regards to that psalm, he says there's never a time that God sits on the balcony of heaven and he yawns and he nods off and goes to sleep. God is always there and Jesus knows the Father and he said, Father, I thank you that you are hearing my prayer. See, death was staring Jesus in the face. He was heartbroken, but he took this impossible-looking tragedy and he prayed to the Father with this forward-looking, not backward-looking, for it hadn't happened yet. It was forward-looking, forward-looking prophetic perception and insight into the heart of God, and it erupted in him with thanksgiving. And he thanked God for raising Lazarus before Lazarus was ever raised from the dead. He thanked God when everything was looking impossible. Now, we often think that, and I've often thought, that thanksgiving is something we pray after God has done something. But here, the thanksgiving comes before God ever did anything. Jesus thanks God for doing something in advance, that it's, it's foresight. And thanksgiving is both this backward look and this forward look. And there are several other examples of how Jesus lived this way and prayed this way. Two of them is uh, the two miracle meals when he transformed a, a food and multiplied it into a, low, uh, you know, a great feast for the, the crowds of the 5,000 and the 4,000. And in all three of the synoptic gospels, which are Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke, they say that Jesus looked up to heaven and when he prayed over the food, on both of these occasions, it says that Jesus gave thanks before the miracle ever happened, before the food was ever multiplied. He didn't wait until he saw the miracle. He didn't wait until there was physical evidence in order to be thankful. He was thankful before there was ever physical evidence to give him a valid earthly reason to be thankful. He was thankful without it, despite it. 
He was thankful in advance of it. And he gave thanks even though all he saw before him was the little lad's lunch and this little basket, uh, you know, the little lunch bucket with the Superman picture on the side of it. Um, he saw the, all that was in it was a few fish and loaves in this lunch basket. And he thanked God for the food God was about to provide for that huge multitude. You see, his thanksgiving was based on foresight, not hindsight, and insight, not eyesight. And that's the principle I'd like for God to teach us this morning. If you want your faith to grow to a new level and your prayer life to grow to a new level of confidence and spontaneity, then try discerning, practicing a lifestyle of walking in cadence with the Holy Spirit, of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit, as the Bible says, so that we develop this capacity to be discerning as to what the will of God is and not our our own will. What's on your heart, Heavenly Father? Not bringing our agenda to the Lord, but listening, submittedly, humbly to the Lord to say, what are you doing, God? What do you want me to say? How do you want me to pray here, Lord? And practicing that reflex in our life of discerning, of being watchful, of having that prophetic insight and perception into the mind of God, of putting on the mind of Jesus Christ, and then thanking God for what he wants to do, discovering what he wants to do, and then thanking him that he's capable of doing it watchfulness and thanksgiving. I believe that's what Paul means when he says to marry together prayer with watchfulness and with thanksgiving. Now let's talk a little bit about watchfulness a little more because I think this is the aspect that God wants to press upon us today. Paul said that we should add watchfulness to our prayers. Now watchfulness means focusing on God. It means setting our mind on the will of God. It means attentiveness to his kingdom agenda. It means prophetic perception and insight. It means getting on the same page as God. It means seeing and knowing God's heart. Remember the prophetic word for one of the words of in Hebrew for prophet means seer. The ability to perceive and have insight into the heart of God. And let me just say a word here and pause about this prophetic gift. Pastor Brad has been teaching us about the prophetic gift and and in general about all of the gifts of the Spirit. Let's say, for example, two of the gifts that the Bible lists as the gift of faith and the gift of giving. So if, if you feel like that God or discovered that I mean, it's, you're not based on feeling, it's based on evidence, right? So that you don't have the gift of giving, let's say. Does that mean you should never practice an unselfish life and should never give anything to anyone? Say, I don't have the gift of giving, so I don't have to pay my tithes. No, that's not what it means. Well, what about the gift of faith? God gives some people this robust gift of confidence in God. But what if you don't have the gift of faith? Does that mean that you never have to believe God? That therefore you're the only way you can get saved is to get saved by works, not by faith. (laughs) You can only get justified by your works, not by faith. That's not what it means. No, the fact that we, the people that God gives a special gift Think of it like a power tool to bring his kingdom on earth. These are power tools to get God's will done on earth. And God gives some people special power tools to lead the way for the body of Christ, to teach the body of Christ how to operate in these areas. And I believe as we're all conformed into the likeness of Christ, we'll begin to develop in these areas. Even if we don't have the gift of faith, we'll grow in faith. If we don't have the gift of giving, we'll grow in giving. And so it's true also with the prophetic gift. 
If you don't have the, necessarily this, this special ability that erupts in you to, to say something timely for that season and that moment in time, it doesn't mean that you can't develop this ability to, ha- to have an insight into the heart of the Father. And here's why, as it's applied to the concept of prayer. Because the Bible says that there's a certain way we have to learn how to pray. The Bible says several times that we should pray in the Holy Spirit. The King James Version says in the book of Jude, pray in the Holy Ghost. And I love that. And God is teaching me how to do that. And that kind of intimacy with the divine mind flows out of a daily habit of prayer of learning how to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into the heart of the Father, to know what's on His mind, what is His agenda, what is His will, that His will would be done, that His will would be done, that His will would be done, and not my own will, that His kingdom would come, that His kingdom would come, and not my kingdom. And so in order to get to that place, we have to be led by him to have insight and perception, for we don't have it on our own. And so watchfulness means insight and not eyesight. It's not seeing things that are of the physical, but seeing into the eternal, having the mind of Christ, lifting up our mind to see he who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And thanksgiving is foresight more than it is hindsight. Now let me just continue to develop that idea. For it says in Hebrews 11 verse 1, it, des- it defines faith there. It says now, in Hebrews 11, you remember, is that great chapter about all of the people that lived by faith, all those old dead guys in the Old Testament. <laughs> oh, it's an amazing chapter. If there's one chapter of the Bible you should memorize, it should be Hebrews 11. If you want to read a chapter that encourages you, read Hebrews 11. All of these people lived by faith. Not seeing, not their eyes fixed upon things that they saw right then and there. There was no evidence whatsoever. And, and Hebrews 11 begins by defining faith for us. I like verse 4. It says, for without faith, it's impossible to please God. But Hebrews 11.1 1 says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen, not seen, not seen. So watchfulness is not eyesight. It's not watching for things that are not looking for evidence. It's having insight into God, the promises of God, the character of God, the nature of God, the ability of God, even the word of God for right now. Now, when I just said the word of God for right now, I'm meaning something specific. There are two words in the New Testament for word of God. There's the word logos and there's also the word rhema. The word logos means the eternal word as it's always existed in the nature and the character of God. John's gospel says now the word of God was always there but and Jesus was the eternal Logos, but the Logos became flesh and he dwelt among us, meaning Jesus was the eternal Logos, always there, and, but he became flesh and made the Logos, the eternal truth, visible so we could see it and glorify our Father in heaven. The Logos became visible. The eternal truth became knowable in Jesus Christ. God became accessible and knowable We can now know God. He says, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The Logos, eternal truth, became knowable. But there's also the word rhema in the New Testament. And that's specific to a certain situation. For example, that this word appears in Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about putting on the full armor of God. And talks of putting on the, the, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. That's the Greek word rhema. And rhema means a word, a certain word for right here, right now. 
And that watchfulness has to do with praying in the Holy Spirit for a certain word from God right here, right now. In that sense, it has a prophetic element to it, right? And all of us have this ability for the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. And according to the promise given to Joel, he said, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and all of your sons and daughters shall prophesy. In that sense, it has it means that we will have the capacity to know God and insight in God in a special way so that we can pray in the Holy Spirit and it give us insight and relationship and fellowship with God. Let me just give you an example of that and take it from theory into practice. And uh, some of you have know a little bit about the story that happened about three weeks ago here at our church at the Gospel Fluency Conference. It's an example of listening prayer, of being dependent upon the Holy Spirit to be led in prayer. We're talking about what it means to be watchful. Praying with watchfulness. And it's an example of listening to the Holy Spirit to get discernment to know how to pray. You see, you and I don't know how to pray on our own. And we need to realize that. I'll spin out into selfishness. I'll spin out into my will be done. But we've got to get to that place where we only, we are jealous only for the heart of God. At the Gospel Fluency Conference on Saturday morning, there were two state troopers that attend our church here that um, had signed up to participate in this conference with their wives. And that morning, early Saturday morning, they got called out on an emergency call to deal with an emergency situation that you heard about in the news. A man had... Uh, I don't remember now, had he killed two people already? Do you know, Joy? He'd shot two people. I don't know if he'd wounded them or killed them at this point. Um, And they were called out. They had uh, somehow gone from the valley back, and now he was in the trees somewhere around Jaybear. Back to the church now, Saturday morning. Their two wives were in the audience And they both were feeling this unusual heaviness in their spirit. Let me just stop there. We're talking about discerning the Holy Spirit in our life, discerning watchfulness, discerning being led into prayer, discerning if we're being led, learning learning to know when the Spirit is prompting us to pray, right? (laughs) That would be the first part. If we're going to pray in the Holy Spirit, we need to discern if he's prompting us to pray. And these ladies were feeling this unusual heaviness in their spirit. What is unusual heaviness in the spirit about? Well, it could be of the demonic. But it's not necessarily always from the abyss. It can be from God. For one of the Hebrew words we talked about already, one of the Hebrew words for prophet is the word seer. Another Hebrew word for prophet is the word masa, which means weight. It means burden. You you know, many times in the Old Testament, in the English, it's translated the burden of the Lord came to this prophet. The burden of the Lord. And And the word of the Lord comes to us sometimes as a heavy weight or a burden, a sense of alarm, a sense of concern, a sense of gravity, like, uh, you know, let's, let's take initiative with something here. Something needs to be dealt with. And, and one of the, 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 the spouses of, of these um, troopers felt this urgency to pray, yet was struggling with it. The enemy was attacking her and saying, no, you're just an alarmist, you're just a, um, what's the word, um, uh, I forget words escaping me, what she said, you know, just too overly excited, overly emotional. But she said, no, I'm going to push into this. And she went to Pastor Brad and said, I think we need to pray about this situation. Pastor Brad grabbed, you know, six or eight of us and we circled together in the fireside room to pray. As we're gathering in there, Pastor Brad turned to me and says, after we've prayed, I want you speaking to me, to close in prayer. And I immediately felt a sense of panic. Like, I have no information here. 
I don't know what I'm to be praying about. I don't know what's going on. I don't hardly know the names of these people. You know, and, and immediately we start praying like he's asking me to close and pray and to say prayer about something I don't know anything about. You see, what's that based on? Eyesight. Yeah, fear, because it, you know, I'm, I'm based upon, okay, I need, I need physical information. I need, I need something here. But I immediately said, Lord, turning to the Holy Spirit, I need to know how to pray in your will. What do you want me to say? Lead me and pray. And so I depended upon him. And three things came to my mind. First came the word shield, came really strong, shield. And second was this verse of scripture in Proverbs that says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. The name of the Lord. Okay, I'll I'll pray a name of the Lord. And the third thing that came was the name of the Lord, Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of the heavenly armies, the Lord of the armies. We're praying around very quickly. Next to me was Tim Patton. Tim begins to pray about a shield. I got excited. All right. I'm t- you see, this is, this is not a science, learning how to do this. This is an art, an art form, right? We'll make mistakes. It's a discernment process. We're going to learn how to do it. And so, I, you know, and so I, okay, shield. Tim prayed shield, and I'll go with that, Lord. And so I began to pray, Lord, that you'll be a shield about these men, and the, you know, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and Lord Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies. And after we finished praying, Pastor Brad turned to me and says, I got shield too. In the mouth of what's the Bible say? Two or three witnesses, right? That was pretty incredible. But the most incredible thing is the story we get later on when these two uh, law enforcement men come back to us with this, their story and how one of them was up in a high turret in this uh, Humvee type of a thing, very vulnerable. And he watches around and the other one says that he looked around and he, he, he just felt such peace and comfort because he was surrounded by all of these, these military men and these APD officers. Like, like he, was, he said, I felt like I was surrounded by a, guess what word he used? Shield. <laughs> and uh, I forgot in the early service, I didn't tell the end of the story, but they did capture the guy miraculously without any violence and anybody getting hurt and, uh, and arrested him, and God protected him. But there's just a, a little example of what we're talking about, of learning to pray in the way I believe the Bible is instructing us to pray. Learning to pray with watchfulness and thanksgiving. And my watchfulness just turned to the clock, and I see that I'm five minutes past the time I was supposed to stop. This is so good. This is so fun. I haven't preached in so long. I'm just, I've got so much to say. <laughs> All right. Let me just close with this. I, I, I have a couple things to close with, okay? I haven't even got to point two. But somebody after the early service says, oh, pastor, you've got to see this, this verse of Scripture. So turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. This just augments or accents what we're trying to say, the kind of lifestyle and focus we should be living in as gospel people. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I prayed this verse at the beginning of the service. Did you know that we should learn to pray the scriptures? George Mueller or somebody, no, it was um, um, D.L. Moody, said, I, I, I couldn't pray in faith until I learned to pray the word of God. And I'd get down on my knees and I'd pray, I'd read scripture and then I began to pray. And he says, then I learned how to pray in faith. Listen to these words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 to 18. So we do not lose heart. Does anybody need to learn how to not lose heart with the news of what happened in Paris this week? Are we losing heart, believers? Does our language sound like we're losing heart or are we people full of faith? Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away. See, that's eyesight, right? That's physical. That's the external. 
Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not, what are we not looking at? The things that are seen, eyesight, but to things that are unseen, insight. Whether you have the gift of prophecy or not, you're to develop this ability to have insight into the heart of God by being led by the Holy Spirit into fellowship with God, that you have insight into the unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And we are investing as people of God in eternals, aren't we? So watchfulness is insight, not eyesight. And thanksgiving is foresight, not hindsight. Or not that it it can't be hindsight. It doesn't mean you you don't thank God for things he's done for you. But it it includes, I'm I'm bending the paper over, pressing the envelope on the side of, of, don't forget foresight as well. And let me close with this example of that. It's from the life of George Mueller. Do you ever heard of George Mueller, that Englishman who ran that orphanage over in England? And maybe you've heard of that great man of faith, and he was a preacher who started that orphanage there. And, and early one morning, he was told that the orphanage had completely run out of money and out of food. And these little orphan children had to come to the table to eat something, but there was nothing there to serve them, to give them that day. And as, he, as soon as he heard about the needs and the deplorable situation that they were in, Mueller grabbed one of the workers and he said, it was a little young girl whose name was Abigail. And he said to her, Abigail, come and let's see what the father will do. See, see the see there is not eyesight, see, it's insight. Let's have insight. Let's pray with insight into what God is going to do with the spirit of thanksgiving. And he led her into the dining room. The table was all set. Just imagine the scene here. The table was all set. The children were all gathered and they were seated at the table. And there was no food. And they bowed for prayer over the morning meal. Mule lifted his hands and he prayed, Dear Father, I thank thee for what thou art going to give us to eat. Immediately after he finished his prayer, there was a knock at the door and there stood the baker. And this baker was standing there with big eyes and he says, I couldn't sleep at all last night because I felt this burden upon my heart for the orphanage that you wouldn't have bread this morning for breakfast. And he said, so I woke up at two o'clock this morning and began to bake bread for the orphanage. George Mueller gave thanks for the bread. And then there was a second knock on the door, and this time it was the milkman. You remember those old days when the milkman would deliver milk? He'd put it in that little cubby on the outside. We used to have a cubby, little hole like this with the door that the milkman would put a jug in. And I remember one time my parents locked the keys in the house, and I was such a little, little gaffer that they shoved me through that little milk hole in order to get the keys that was in the house. That's what I think about the milkman. I remember that little door, that trap door. Well, the milkman was standing there at the door and he says, my, my cart that was delivering the milk, it, it broke down. The wheel broke outside of the orphanage. And he says, I'm wondering, my milk's going to spoil. Would you, would you be able to use some fresh milk this morning? because I need to take the weight off of the cart so we can lift it up to fix this wheel. And George Mueller bowed his head again, and he said, Lord, thank you for the food. You see, there was an example of Thanksgiving that included first foresight, but also hindsight. Thank you for what you're going to do, and thank you for what you've done. It included insight rather than eyesight. He, He had insight into the capability of God, great confidence in the character of God before he ever saw any outward evidence that it had been done already. How you doing? I apologize for going over time. I guess I need to preach more often, don't I? <laughs> I'm just kidding you. I, I, I believe God has been here this morning, and it's not an accident 
Not an accident. Friends, we are living in. I'm preaching about the times we're living in. And I believe this message is one of those Kairos, Kairos moments. Kairos moments is, there's another two different words. There's Kronos time and Kairos times. Kronos times is watch time. Kairos time is when God meets us in his time. And that's a biblical word, Kairos. This is a, a Kairos time is when the Rhema word of God <laughs> speaks to us right here and right now for what we need right here and right now. And I believe this is one of those moments. God is in charge. So just to apply what we're hearing on the news, the circumstances around us, what we may be facing ahead, but God is in charge, folks. And we've got to learn to live the gospel as a reflex of the way of life for us. Learn to walk in step with the Holy Spirit in order to bring his kingdom on earth. For thine is the kingdom and the glory that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will be done. Let's stand and pray. If there's anybody here this morning that would like to have their pilot light lit in order to respond at any given moment, any emergency moment, that there be a reflex, a responsiveness in your life that goes to prayer, a natural instinct to pray like you've never had before. If you'd like to begin to walk in this this breathing of prayer, this reflex, this natural realm of prayer, then you need your pilot light to be on. You need to walk in this area of watchfulness and thanksgiving. If, if your heart longs for that and hungers for that and you're a candidate for that, you'd like to walk in that, then I encourage you to come and pray. There's people who will gather with you and pray. Let's just be led of the Lord. Let's be obedient to the Lord. Let's follow the Lord. Thank you for your people. Thank you for your word this morning, Lord. You are doing a work in our hearts. You are in our midst. You are sovereign, mighty God. May you be glorified. May you be lifted up. May you be honored, Lord. You are king of all kings and Lord of all lords. The government is upon your shoulders, dear Jesus, and of the increase of your government and of your peace. There shall be no end. And we trust that, Lord. We believe in you this morning. And we will apply that insight that comes from the revelation given us through your word into the hopeless situations of life that we face. Thank you for the hope and the confidence that you give. May we not be people who are afraid and stressed out. But, Lord, give us the ability to rise and to walk on water when you call us to come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.